Did you ever wonder about the 70,000 companions or followers of our beloved Prophet that will enter the beautiful gardens of paradise without reckoning or any prior punishment in the next life? In this episode of Studying Sacred Scripture, we look exactly at the tradition that talks about Okasha ibn Mihsan and the like that will have the honor and privilege of entering the beautiful gardens of paradise without any prior reckoning. May Allah make us among them. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Hamdan kathiran mubarakan fih Hamdan khalidan ma'a khuludih Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallama tasliman kathira wa ba'd Tonight, inshallah ta'ala, we will continue our study circle of studying our sacred scripture. We are in chapter 7 of Riyadu Salihin, which is Bab al-Yaqeen wa tawakkul which means the chapter on this notion of certainty and reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At this age and time, really everybody is after al-Yaqeen, certainty in everything you could really say. Uh, and likewise, it is the time when we really need to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as it seems that we have been targeted from all areas, all angles, all possible avenues that you can imagine in our lives nowadays. So I would say this chapter is always going to be relevant uh, and there's always something beautiful to learn uh, from a subject like this. Last time, alhamdulillah, we managed to read the opening verse which Imam Nawawi chose, selected for this particular topic, and we also managed to introduce the two notions, and we somehow could understand that the two of them intertwine; they are linked. And there are, of course, many other uh, major institutions, or you can say uh, notions of our beautiful Islamic tradition, that are all interconnected. You can't separate modesty from faith, as we said. You can't separate piety from anything, more or less. Okay? And, and the same really would go with certainty and reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why, as I said, Imam al-Nawi rahmatullah had this special kind of deep understanding of these concepts, and especially in his methodology, in, in, in the way in which he devised his work, it's really outstanding. It's very uh, beautiful indeed. So <clears throat> the first ayah was quite specific, as we explained. Uh, now he, read, he basically selected a few verses, uh, which are really just parts of uh, Quranic verses from different parts of the Quran that indicate or tell us very clearly that we are actually asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to rely on him. It's, it's a form of an obligation, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding us, in other words, to rely on Him. And what a beautiful obligation that is because Allah is telling us basically to rely on the true source of reliance so that you don't lose. Because if it wasn't an obligation, maybe people would rely on some other uh, sources of reliance and then they will understand, oh, that was not reliable. So I was actually relying on something which is unreliable. So uh, that is really deep, I would say, and beautiful. Uh, and likewise, he chose several ayahs in the Qur'an here 
which tell us about different benefits okay that we believers gain for relying on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for attaining to what we described as the level of certainty al-yaqeen so I'll read to you uh, some of those verses they're very short in the translation they're not very difficult to understand but there is always some kind of deeper meaning or message to each one of those ayahs so the first one he says here وَقَالَ تَعَالَى وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى لَحَيِّ الَّذِي لَا يَمُوتِ Surah Al-Furqan, Ayah 58. So this means, and put your trust, O Muhammad, in the ever-living one who dies not. So, of course, uh, in different places in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving like a very uh, direct instruction to his Prophet and Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on how to deal with those people in Mecca who are yet to understand his message that he's continuously trying to convey to them. They are actually not only turning their backs uh, towards him and not wanting to listen, but they are now turning against him in, in his call, this universal, you can say, call, uh, to the entire mankind which started in Mecca when Allah elected him and chose him to be his final prophet and messenger. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reassuring his prophet. And this was one of the best forms uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could tell him, give him a clear tactic that he could use in basically standing up to those who turned against him. So a command of tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But look how Allah says. He could have said, وَالتَّوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ like elsewhere in the Qur'an. And it would mean the same thing. But there is a much deeper, uh, you can say, uh, reassurance from Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam by mentioning two things here. Two qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can say two of his beautiful names. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he's al-hayy. The ever-living. So, so if you think about it, who, who wants to rely on something that can end at some point, that has an expiry date, or something that is shaky, or not always constant, not always there, stable? No one, really. So a very strong, I would say, language, very beautiful language and strong message rely on the ever-living, al-hayy. And then, even more than that, even though it's all understood, al-hayy means ever-living. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us of something else. Al-ladhi, al-hayy, al-ladhi la yamut. Which basically means, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who has this quality of al-fana, who is ever-lasting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the first and the last and we say he is the Al-Qadim, he is Al-Hay, uh, he is Al-Fani, he is Al-Baqi. All those qualities only belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and no one else. So in other words, uh, the Prophet والسلام, was taught a strong lesson in Aqeedah, in Iman, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly telling him, put your affairs or Place your affairs all in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will take care of it because Allah is ever living and he will be there forever, 
always there for those who turn to him. Such a beautiful message, a very strong message. So it basically means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever living and ever lasting, everlasting. Everything else comes into being and also comes to an end. Yeah, so Allah is the only who, who is al-baqi, al-fani. Everything else, everything else will perish. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-baqi. He is the only one who is everlasting and ever living. So very beautiful message, uh, message. whereas this world, faniya. It will end, it will come to, to an end, and everything else will come to an end. So place uh, your affairs in something which is constant. That is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only real, the only true being. This is the first ayah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks in Surah Ibrahim to all of us. So all the believers, it means basically, and in Allah alone, let all the believers put their trust. So you can understand this ayah in two ways. You can say true believing men and women only rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we do not put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we are not maybe proper, earnest and honest believers. On the other hand, you can say every believing man and women should know that at all times they are asked, ordered to put their trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will take care of their affairs in its entirety. So I like this ayah and there are many verses in the Quran in, in, in this kind of uh, meaning. All those uh, are very beautiful uh, verses from the Quran which say that we all have to come to some point in our uh, mujahada and in our struggle in this worldly life so that we learn it is our duty to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and put our trust in him and he will take care of it. And that is the next ayah which uh, Imam Nawawi chose. This ayah is from Surah Talaq, which means then when you have taken a decision, you understood, and you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will take care of it. He is enough for you. He is sufficient for you. Whoever puts his trust in Allah, Allah will suffice him or her. Very beautiful, uh, you can say, reassurance for every believer. And now in this particular ayah, uh, there's so much kalam or commentary tafsir that you can read, very nice and useful. But I would say the crux of all of it is that uh, you have everything to lose if you don't put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On the other hand, if you understand and reach to the point where you actually put all your affairs and trust them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will survive, you will succeed. Yeah, you will be saved and all your affairs inshallah ta'ala will be taken care of by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the best and the strongest source of reliance. So we understand that uh, in the commentary of this particular ayah, uh, previous prophets and messengers of Allah, just like our prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
these are the terms that they used when, when they were really pushed to the corner, when things were really difficult for them. They will just say words like Hasbunallahu wa ni'mal wakil and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of their affairs. And we have to do exactly the same and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help us. Then Imam Minawi says, Well ayatu fi fadli tawakkuli kathiratun ma'arufatun. And there are many other verses in the Quran that talk about the virtue or the excellence of this notion of relying on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I believe they are all quite known to more or less all of you. So now we have one hadith I would like to read to you, which is the first of this chapter and 74th uh, of the book. It is an interesting hadith. It does mention the notion of tawakkul more or less, more than anything else. It is a medium size of uh, hadith, so I will need your patience when I read in Arabic. And then we will read the translation and we will offer a brief, really brief uh, explanation of this hadith. فَالْأَوَّلُ عَنْ إِبْنِ عَبَّاسٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ عَنْهُمَا قَالَ قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عرضت علي الأمم فرأيت النبي ومعه الرهيط والنبي ومعه الرجل والرجلان والنبي وليس معه أحد إذ رفع لي سواد عظيم فظننت أنهم أمتي فقيل لي هذا موسى وقومه ولكن انظر إلى الأفق فنظرت فإذا سواد عظيم فقيل لي انظر إلى الأفق الآخر فإذا سواد عظيم فقيل لي هذه أمتك ومعهم سبعون ألفا يدخلون الجنة بغير حساب ولا عذاب ثم نهض فدخل منزلة فخاض الناس في أولئك الذين يدخلون الجنة بغير حساب ولا عذاب فقال بعضهم فلعلهم الذين صحبوا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وقال بعضهم فلعلهم الذين بلدوا في الإسلام فلم يشركوا بالله شيئا وذكروا أشياء مختلفة فخرج عليهم رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال ما الذي تخذون فيه فأخبروه فقال هم الذين لا يرقون ولا يسترقون ولا يتطيرون وعلى ربهم يتوكلون فقام عكاشة بن محصن فقال ادعوا الله أن يجعلني منهم فقال أنت منهم ثم قام رجل آخر فقال ادعوا الله أن يجعلني منهم فقال سبقك بها عكاشة متفق عليه رهيط بضم الراء تصغير رهط وهم دون عشر أنفس والأفق الناحية والجانب وعكاشة بضم العين والتشديد الكاف وبتخفيفها والتشديد أفصح طيب so this is a little bit longer hadith as you can hear but listen to the translation so uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas رضي الله تعالى عنهما reported the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, I was shown the past nations and I saw a prophet who had a very small group of people, like less than 10 in total around him. And another prophet I saw who was accompanied by just one person or two people. 
And I also saw some who didn't have any followers, no one around them. Suddenly, I was shown, I saw a huge crowd. <clears throat> and I thought, maybe they were perhaps my nation, my ummah. And then I was told, no, that is Musa and his nation, his people, his ummah. But look towards the other side. So I looked. And I noticed a great crowd. And I was told, <clears throat> then I was told, look on the other side. And then I, was also, I also saw a great crowd there. And then I was told, these are your people. And amongst them, there are 70,000 who will enter Jannah without being taken to account or being punished at all. So then the Prophet ﷺ stood up after saying that. And he just went into his room, his apartment. So the Sahaba, after he left, they began to guess, talk, discuss, as to who are those 70,000 who would enter Jannah without any reckoning or uh, punishment. Some of them said, perhaps they are those who kept the company of the Prophet, of the Messenger of Allah some of his companions. Others said, Maybe they are those who were born as Muslims and they never associated anyone or anything with Allah in worship. They never committed shirk. And they were discussing like as to who they could be. Then the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he came out of his room and he inquired, he asked them, what are you talking about? What are you discussing? So they told him what they were guessing and talking about. So he told them, he answered, he said, whom? Yeah, they, the 70,000, they are those who do not make ruqya, okay? Uh, <clears throat> who don't make ruqya and nor seek it, nor perceive omens, but keep trust in their Lord, but rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On hearing this, one of the companions named Rukasha ibn Mihsan, he stood up and he asked, pleaded to the Prophet ﷺ. He said, Pray to Allah to make me one of them. Yeah, one of those 70,000. And the Prophet ﷺ prayed and said, Anta minhum, you are one of them. Then another man shortly after that stood up and he asked the same. He made the same request. But this time the Prophet ﷺ replied by saying, Ukasha has preceded you by it. Ukasha has surpassed you with this. Like it was a very special, unique kind of request that can't be given just to every person. Muttafaqun Ali means that this hadith was uh, noted, recorded in Bukhari's and Muslims' books. So it is really authentic hadith. And as I said, a medium-sized tradition. Now, let us look uh, at this hadith a little bit closer. Regarding the language, I already read two terms, to be honest to you, with you straight away, uh, as Imam we selected them. Uh, I don't know, they are not really difficult, but he just wanted to emphasize like the variations, I would say, on how to basically uh, say uh, those two terms, especially difficulties when, we, when it comes to people's names. Because you can pronounce somebody's name in this way or that way. 
you can emphasize a particular letter, you don't have to emphasize, you can put a fatha or kasra on some of the letters and things like that. But as you can see to our previous uh, high scholars, everything was important, every little tiny detail. But on Okash's name, no doubt, I would say it was very significant because this Sahabi is now known by name by so many people and has been known, of course, since this incident and even before. And what a great, mighty companion. Okash ibn Mihsan was a great shaheed, you can say, martyr of Islam, <coughs> a very great personality. Uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed with so many uh, amazing wonders, you can say. But maybe the biggest privilege that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon him was uh, for him to be in that gathering, to, to, to be that uh, intelligent and brave, to request uh, that special kind of uh, noble and noble request to the Prophet والسلام, who prayed for him there and then. And Allah accepted that prayer of the best of mankind and made him uh, count among, the, uh, among those people who will enter Jannah, inshallah ta'ala, without reckoning or torment. Many a time, to be honest with you, I'm sure you all have, I thought about uh, this uh, group of people, uh, the 70,000, and sometimes I struggled with, really to understand, like, we don't really know for how long uh, people will be born and, and what is really the size of uh, the prophets, uh, our prophets, ummah. <clears throat> the crowd will be huge. The numbers, uh, we can't really count, you can say more or less. <clears throat> so is this number relatively small? We can't really complain. All we can say is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has his absolute will and he decides on how many people will enter Jannah in total and then how many will enter Jannah in that or this or any particular way or form without reckoning, without being punished. So I thought, I thought about it, uh, even recently I was reading those, uh, some books on sending the salawat upon the Prophet and Imam Shafi for example came up with that amazing combination where he said, Oh Allah, send peace and salutations upon the Prophet ﷺ whenever somebody does so, and even <laughs> when nobody does so. Means at all times, like really clever salawat. And a saint uh, saw the Prophet ﷺ in his dream, so he also was puzzled with this really clever uh, composition that Imam Shafi came uh, with obviously from his extreme piety, intelligence, and extreme love and reverence towards the Prophet ﷺ, just like Ukasha, Ibn Mihsan, and other Sahaba, that the Prophet prayed for them. So he asked, him, it's like, wouldn't he get something truly special on Judgment Day? Allah would give him a special kind of treatment for having such a deep love, such a pure connection with, with your beloved one, with your chosen one, with the Prophet ﷺ, with you. So he said, yes, uh, like angels informed me that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also make him among those who will enter Jannah without reckoning. We can't put uh, like, it's not a Sharia text, it's a dream. But what I'm trying to say to you is, we will never give up the hope that we are also, that we can become, however insignificant or small the number, the figure may look to you considering the actual time since this tradition came about and we know about it. 
and how many more people will be born and there's millions of you know believers right now at this moment in time on this earth and how many more billions will be born and lived and believed in Allah and be pious to him and counted among his close friends indeed I just understood we should never give up the hope on being among those people this is one thing and the second thing I understood was okay it's not really about uh, whether you're going to stand up on the day of reckoning hisab uh, and you are being uh, questioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about all your deeds and actions the main point of this actually notion bighayr hisab is not going in jahannam first but going to jannah straight away this is how i understand this so as long as anyone is not punished first has to atone for their misdeeds their sins in the fire of jahannam and then when their good and bad deeds are equal is taken out of it and then placed into the beautiful gardens of jannah i would say will more or less have this particular privilege that's how i understand because if you deeply think about it without reckoning means like it's automatic granting of jannah so it means that those will go straight to jannah therefore we could also believe this is not like a hadith is sound like i said but not one of those principles of our creed that it has to be fixed on 70000 and and we should be just crazy about the actual number no uh, there is some relief as the commentators say 7 770000 is used in arabic language in particular to indicate a large amount a large number just like the hadith that talks about this particular issue talks of sawad azim or a'azam like the greatest crowd which is like the greatest uh, nation that uh, uh, will follow a prophet or a messenger of allah is the nation of our beloved prophet basically our nation we just simply can't understand the actual crowd how big it is and what the number is so we should pray to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in my humble opinion that he makes us amongst them and it is up to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as to what will happen and who exactly those individuals will have the privilege and will be uh, to enter jannah without reckoning and without being punished allahumma ja'alna minhum amin ya rab so this is the first thing which came from okasha's name in a way and and and, and this term on ruhayt and 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 uh, sawad azim so uh, but there is one or two terms i really have to read them in arabic uh, for an explanation to be honest with you in this particular translation like several lines are missing in the english translation they didn't translate a part of hadith like a good part a couple of sentences are not translated at all it doesn't mean the people who translated it uh, didn't uh, see that it could be just people who typed it later on or the publishers uh, or the imprint yeah the printing house basically deleted a couple of sentences by mistake accidentally uh, until the next edition of this book is published it will stay like that so i just wanted to bring that to your attention because to me it was an important uh, thing to mention because it was not what the prophet ali sallallahu alaihi wasallam it al-ufuq actually means horizons this is one of the terms which uh, imam nawawi chose to mention here okay and nahiya wal janib both of these terms so the prophet ali sallallahu alaihi wasallam was shown okay 
whatever his vision, and it's actually on judgment day, so it's not the same limitation that we have with this. Look, we, we can only see in front of us, two eyes looking this direction. I can't really see on my right and left, certainly can't see from behind me. There are some creatures that Allah created that can rotate the eyes uh, by Allah, Allah's grace. So on judgment day, you could probably see much more than what this uh, faculty of sight or seeing can al allow you in this worldly life. So he could see a huge crowd, Sawad Azim, before him. But he's also told to turn yet to another side. And there he sees another likewise, if not larger crowd. So the point I'm trying to say is like the Hadith is trying to make emphasize the Ummah of the Prophet is much bigger than even the following of Sayyidina Musa which it seems from this Hadith and other traditions is the second largest. And we know from the story of Al-Isra Al-Miraj in a way that Musa was like a little bit uh, you can say sad because it's not envy or jealousy in a bad way but he obviously tried his very best and he was, as the Quran said, mukhlasan nabiya, so honest and sincere in his call and calling his nation, his people. Uh, he felt maybe that he didn't fulfill his mission or he came short. That's why he pleaded to Allah. He wanted more people to be there to count among his followers. And in the same way, you can say the Prophet on his greatest shafa intercession is the same thing. Why? Because he cares for every single person that is born after his sending, who will believe in Allah and him. He wanted them basically to be among his ummah, to receive the privilege of his intercession and anything else that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his mercy and generosity will offer. So I think it's in that actually direction, nothing to do with envy or pride or jealousy or anything like that. It's just that all those prophets wanted best for their people. And of all of them who wanted most khair to his people, in fact, to the entire creation of Allah, no other than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Raufun bil mu'minina, raufun rahim. He's like, he was haris, he was so like, it's unbelievable how the Quran, فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِيُ نَفْسَكَ He would be so sad, it will bother him, uh, it will uh, like not annoy him in a bad way, but he just wanted everyone to be guided. He wanted everyone to have proper peace and happiness and closeness to Allah and all the blessings and best. He was like that. رَحْمَةٌ لِلْعَالَمِينَ Like that. So I can't really explain that because we are not like that merciful and kind, but my understanding really is that he wanted absolutely every single person to be a believer in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if he knew of anyone who couldn't understand his message and who chose not to follow his footsteps, the Prophet would be sad in that way. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Therefore, he is the best of all mankind. So these are two points I already mentioned. But let me read those uh, terms and we'll finish there, inshallah. Just maybe, yeah, one or two points I'll mention. So first one is لا يرقون أي لا يقرؤون شيئا يتعوذون به من شر ما وقع أو يتوقع 
So this is the explanation. So I don't, I don't necessarily like the English translation here. This is why I insisted on reading this term in explanation. So yeah, it is true. So the Prophet he did mention uh, this term. Now you will say, oh, but in the English translation you said those who don't do ruqya. But we know there is ruqya shari'iyya. You do do ruqya. So what does that mean here really? Okay, so it is, in a way, this is one of those terms which could be interpreted in more than one way, but I will say it's like this. Uh, they don't do anything which may cause, bring them about harm unless they rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in it. They put their full trust, iman and tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if they are seeking some form of cure, they have to basically turn towards Ashafi, the one, the only one actually who can cure. So whatever it is that they read, they have to remember it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who cures and not the thing that they have devised or done. Something like that. So in that sense, uh, we have now come to understand a ruqya could be dangerous, problematic, unless we do it in a proper Islamic way. As I said, ruqya shari'iyya is called nowadays. So what does that mean? It really means with proper approach, knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala huwa shafi. So if Allah says, the Quran itself, shifa'un lima fi sudur nas, or lima fi sudur, or shifa'un lin nas. So if the, if the Almighty says the Quran itself is a cure, or Surah Al-Fatiha, shafiya, yeah, is just like a special kind of uh, uh, cure. You can, you can understand that and you can read the Quran with that intention, but knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who will put cure in it, in that recitation, in that parchment, whatever it is that you are doing, water, you read Quran in this water and you drink, Allah can cure. In fact, tonight a gentleman told me a story from London. Recent, uh, a person has a daughter of 16 years old unfortunately developed a, a brain tumor which grew so much uh, in a rapid time and the experts, the doctors, like we have some medics here, you know, they, obviously there are all types of tumor as I understand, cancer, and they can't really understand m most of it. How come it grows just anywhere and in the middle of somebody's brain and grows in a short period of time, out of proportion, whatever? So her grandma uh, was known for piety, the Muslim family in London. So her grandma loved uh, her granddaughter. So for about a year and a half, she kept visiting her granddaughter or her granddaughter went to her. I don't know if they lived in the same house. I think they visited each other. So she would read uh, Surah Al-Fatiha and some Quran, Ruqya, into warm water. And she would insist, oh, my granddaughter drink from this water every time. So recently, the girl went for uh, the latest uh, scan, okay, brain scan, and uh, the whole tumor shrank to the size of a pea, like a really small uh, size. And uh, her doctor was just astonished, like, we advised you for chemotherapy, they refused. Like, she's only 16 years old, like, young girl. They didn't want her to go through that kind of torture. They have no explanation. Alhamdulillah, now for a long time, it just stopped growing. And the guy actually who told me his daughter as well has a brain tumor of a different type. So let, may Allah, let's make dua for both of those girls. Uh, 
uh, and all people who have this particular problem. But the point I'm making is this. You never know. You know, this is a revelation. You can say uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he, he can place and put cure into anything, like Imam Shafi said when they brought him a doctor. He said, you are applying this medicine, okay, but it is Allah who will place the shifa in this medication for me if he wants to cure me from this particular disease. And he was on his dying bed. So uh, we should, uh, of course, uh, you know, uh, read Quran, recite Quran, okay, in, in a sharia way, in an allowed way, and you never know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, will put some cure in it. وَلَا يَسْتَرْقُونَ So this, the difference between يَرْقُون and يَسْتَرْقُون is like people who read and the people who now uh, seek it, like they ask someone else to read for them. Again, in this one I will say, okay, let me just see if the commentators put any, any particular uh, issue here. Not really, they just said يَطْلُبُونَ uh, الرُّقْيَةِ So I would say again it's the same. You know, you might feel like somebody else will read better than you. I don't see any problem with that, as long as that reading too was according to Sharia norms. Yeah, But no doubt, the best is for the person, uh, him or herself, to read for her, him or herself. But there is no harm, in my opinion, for someone else to read. So what was the meaning then of this uh, term by the Prophet And the next one. And I'm sure Imam Nawawi and the commentary uh, wrote this one as well. Yes. So what basically this means, according to my understanding, uh, simple understanding is, at the time of Jahiliyyah, they did all kinds of reading that was baseless. Either using the different names of their idols, or doing some kind of uh, reading which was empty, basically, recitation and reading just to uh, exploit people and, 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 and take money from them. Something like that. So they would have special people who were known for ruqya, boxes or something like that, and they would just, like, basically deceive people, cheat on them, something like that, I understand. And they would think in that parchment, in that particular recitation that was read by this and that sorcerer or, like, uh, knowledgeable person or something like that uh, was a, a unique cure and they will do that uh, just solely relying on that person like you can say a priest or whatever or the recitation whereas they forgot it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who if anyone was cured at that time that approached such people or sought uh, after such treatment it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so I understand that uh, the Prophet والسلام, he meant uh, all those people who put their trust in other than Allah it will not count. They haven't relied on Allah properly and those people will certainly not count among the 70,000 uh, that will enter Jannah without reckoning and without punishment. In other words, it is only those who have the highest degree of tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, okay, like Ukash ibn Mihsan and other great companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who understood Allah is the only proper source of reliance, okay? Allah is the only proper or perfect, I should say, source of reliance. And they 
entrusted all of their affairs on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will have a chance of being among the 70,000. This is what the Prophet ﷺ, in my humble opinion, meant by this particular hadith. So it's all language related issues really, but allow me please to see if I should mention just one more benefit. I mentioned quite a few. Yeah, please allow me just to summarize the hadith through benefits. First, from this hadith, we actually understand the excellence, the high uh, status of the Prophet والسلام, uh, in comparison to all other prophets and messengers of Allah, first and foremost, but his high excellence above all of Allah's creation, or let's say above all of mankind. So you understand that uh, from the first part of the hadith that his ummah will have the highest following on Judgment Day. This is one. Uh, yeah, so another one we understand from this hadith is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has showed some kind of special blessing on the Prophet والسلام, by choosing him to, to be like, let's say, chosen first, but sent last. Like he's, he's also like the first and the last in the contents, not like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the first of Anbiya to be selected as Allah's chosen one, but the last to be sent, which allowed his ummah to grow the largest. So you can put it this way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave an enormous amount of fadl on the Prophet وسلم, and his nation. So now, of course, for us, we must feel privileged that we are part of, yeah, of the Prophet, of, the, of Muhammad's ummah. Uh, so that, that is like, I can't explain it, but I'm just telling you, you have to understand it's a huge blessing and a favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon his last prophet and messenger and then each and every one of us who came after the prophet Muhammad sallallahu Of course, we all wish we were around him, but we are still his ahiba. We can be, isn't it? Like we're going to read in one of these hadith, uh, even like in them as special companions even though we didn't see him we didn't accompany him in person we still love him so much and we follow his footsteps as if we are with him and he's in our mind all the time and that is why the prophet والسلام, he said those are my special friends okay my my beloved uh, they didn't see me but they they still uh, love me and respect me so much so for us to be the ummah of the prophet والسلام, the chosen one is a favor I can't even, uh, you know, I can't uh, elaborate enough to be honest with you. Uh, how, 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 how great of a favor that is. On Judgment Day we shall see, inshallah ta'ala. So that's the second benefit. And then we have uh, hukum. Yeah, so there's one ruling uh, on ruqya because I don't want you to misunderstand that part of the hadith even though I, I explained it as much as I could. So this hadith in a way says, well, from the ruqya, there could be some which is illegal, like a part of it that we shouldn't pursue. And of course, there is a ruqya, which is, uh, we can say, uh, allowed and lawful according to our law, uh, Sharia, Islamic law. We call it a ruqya sharia. So in other words, uh, we should not go just for any type of ta'awuz uh, ta or ta'awiz or or seeking protection uh, uh, from any particular cure by any means. We should make sure it is a halal, lawful means, shar'i means, uh, 
and, and only in that way, uh, inshallah ta'ala, we rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put a cure. So the main point really is that we, we and I'm sure this has already ended, uh, the pre-Islamic ways of seeking cure and means of some kind of cure uh, are long forgotten and, and mo most people actually don't even practice them anymore and we don't even know exactly what they used to do back then in those times. And the, the final really point is uh, we are asked, ordered by Allah to rely on him and once we reach to that level and we simply put trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will just take care of us. And there is no better source of reliance than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So may Allah help us to put all of our affairs and all of our trust in him so that he takes care of it and that he blesses us in this and in the next life. والعفو منكم والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته سبحانك اللهم نستفيدك ونتوب إليك ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا